Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening, more specifically, to the latest installment in My April Diary. I left for the bins this morning at 7.30 and got there right before they opened, at 8am. I've been coming here for a few weeks now, and so this is not the first time that I've stood outside with all the other usual resellers at 7.50 and 7.55. But this is a Monday morning, and just yesterday, the clocks jumped forward an hour. And so while it isn't my first time standing out here with these people, it is my first time standing out here in the dark. It's the usual eight or ten of us, cigarettes and coffee and donuts going around, but there's less conversation today than usual. The doors opened at eight on the dot, as always, and we went inside, and there was a red rope cordoning off the last three rows of the warehouse. The last three rows of the Goodwill bins are where they have the good stuff. DVDs, books, TVs that might or might not work. That section is cordoned off because they haven't yet dragged out all of the bins. And from what I can hear, piecemeal among conversation between staff and the regulars is that a lot of the workers who were supposed to be here at 7am to help set up overslept. They're just getting here now and we've got no choice but to just patronize the other rows, the rows and rows of clothing, while they assemble at no particular hurry these last three rows of the good stuff. About 10 years ago, when I got out of college, I worked for a little while at the Cheesecake Factory, and Sundays were always a nightmare, mainly because it was the only day of the week when they served brunch, which here, as at other restaurants, tends to summon a crowd that's either hungover and snappy, or else they're in a perfectly good mood except that something about mimosas and late-morning waffles just, just just makes people behave strangely. It's a kind of entitlement. But Sundays were also difficult because Cheesecake Factory is popular among churchgoers. And I began to think that lots of the people who would come in on Sundays, they knew that they were coming to the Cheesecake Factory before they left for church. And so I came to think that many churchgoers, anticipating a gigantic meal, began to skip breakfasts on Sundays. Thinking only of how much more rewarding the meal would be on an empty stomach, they tended to overlook the fact that they would very, very quickly grow hungry, and that the sermon they were about to attend would consequently be made into this eternal slog. And it also meant that when finally 11.30 or noon came around, they would show up to the Cheesecake Factory hungry and frustrated about traffic, frustrated about parking, frustrated about the line in the lobby. The after-church crowd was just as itchy and impatient as the hungover crowd, as the selfie-snapping crowd that snaps its fingers and bangs its fists on the tables demanding refills. So Sundays were always bad, but it was worse when the clocks jumped forward. I only saw it happen that one year that I worked at the Cheesecake Factory, but servers tend to stick with that company for 8 or 15 years, and those who had suffered it in the past were all in agreement that it is one of the worst days of the year, and that everybody tries to get a little bit of Coke or a little bit of Adderall in advance. The day that clocks jump forward and everybody loses an hour of sleep is up there on the Cheesecake Factory calendar with Mother's Day and Valentine's Day, not necessarily with respect to how much business it generates, but rather the emotional toll that it takes on everybody working there. 
Someone in the lobby, upset that he had been waiting for almost an hour, started a fistfight with someone else who had also been waiting for an hour. A happy and healthy-looking kid, who may be six years old, was standing at a display case by the bakery, studying the cakes and touching the glass. And then he tilted forward at 45 degrees and vomited the way that little kids vomit, where all you hear is like a cough and a splash where they open their mouth and the vomit as, as a unified thing, like a lizard, it just jumps out of their mouth. It made a colorful pile on the floor and this little kid who had just vomited, he looks at the vomit, he spits in it, and then he touches his lips like he isn't quite sure that that just came out of his mouth. Like the thing that just came out of his mouth was a slur and he didn't actually know he believed it. And then, just as abruptly as it had happened, the kid turned away from it. When his family's table was called, he walked off with his parents, who appeared not to have noticed that their kid just vomited. But in the ten years since I've held that job, and as my friends have gotten married and had kids of their own, and as I've gotten a clearer and clearer idea of what it's like to raise kids, I've come to think that this kid's parents almost definitely knew that he had just vomited. It was probably something he did a lot, but that these parents, apart from having to deal every day, with a constantly vomiting child, had also just lost an hour of sleep, and they just didn't really want to deal with it, which I can understand. I remember also there was a woman in the lobby who started weeping to the manager and saying that she'd been waiting for an hour to get a table and that her whole family was here to eat brunch with her for her birthday. Today was her birthday. We'd ruined her birthday. And apparently, this is normal, that people behave this way on this particular day of the year. You can read up on it in journals that there is this one horrible day where everybody loses an hour of sleep and they just start behaving like birds. Statistics reflect that this particular day of the year seems to compel a spike in domestic violence, car accidents, patronage of emergency rooms. But on this particular morning, even though everyone was groggy, everyone was dragging their feet, and I was feeling energized and I felt like I had the upper hand, it was not a particularly good day at the bins. I got a bomber jacket that looked really spiffy, and it was selling for $40 online, but when I got it back to the apartment, I realized there were two gigantic vertical slits underneath, underneath each armpit going down to the waist of the jacket, presumably to accommodate the prior owner's gigantic wingspan. The best thing I found at the bins this morning was a Brett Favre jersey from 1991. I know that he's famous for sport, and I looked up completed sales on eBay for the same jersey, and it's selling for $50, or thereabouts. I got it for $2, I took it home, and I noticed that it's got two discreet, pale, flaky splotches. It is a rather long garment, a rather low-hanging garment, and these two pale, flaking, splotchy stains are, are situated in, in what you might call the lap of this garment. I stared at them for a while, and I studied them from up close and from afar, and I made sure that Marie wasn't home, and then I closed my eyes, and I said aloud to the empty room, It is not semen, before then running some hot water and cleaning the stain with my hands, but to no avail. I took photos of the stain and added them to the eBay listing and priced the jersey down accordingly. A buyer sent me a lowball offer for the jersey within minutes, offering to pay half of the asking price I told him no, but countered with something that was also discounted, and the buyer, very cordial, wrote back gently, succinctly, what about the cum stain? And so I relented, and sold the jersey that same morning for a low but still worthwhile profit, telling myself, don't worry about it, you'll find better things tomorrow. It's not worth losing any sleep.